Quentin, we are back, and obviously the big news this week. The only thing anybody's going to be talking about, so we got to talk about it. We're not going to, you know, become a, uh, a Wednesday Night Wars show, but this week we are the Warheads. Uh, one of my favorite sour candies. I bet one of yours as well growing up. Um, but we're definitely going to talk about the Wednesday Night Wars as they've started here. Um, and they're off to a pretty interesting race uh we'll get i guess talk about some quick news notes shout out again to okay, again segment producer whatever you want to call them con uh, content uh the ghost of the podcast yes the ghost of the podcast the core woo um the core woe i guess maybe i don't know um on twitter great guy but uh i mean he said even he said slow week this week except for AEW NXT, which is obviously what we're going to talk about mostly I guess the most important thing, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on with CM Punk. People are talking about that. Uh, he's finding a backdoor back into WWE. It feels like a perfect move for him. I hear people saying, like, is this a trick? Is he trolling? Is this whatever? What's the plan? What's the move here? To me, it makes perfect sense because it's it's an easy, pussyfooted way to bring himself back in without just basically selling out, as far as some people might say, um, and just coming back to WWE with hat in hand asking for a big payday. Um, this way it's, oh, well, Fox is paying him, and then he's slowly connected back. It's kind of like when Warrior, the Warrior showed up in the video game thing, and then he's on TV eventually, and then in the Hall of Fame. Right. So, yeah, what do you think about CM Punk uh, po probably showing up here commenting on WWE rather than in the ring starting out? Um, It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a little weird to me, just because I feel like mostly people are going to focus on the fact that, oh, here's Punk, Punk is back, and he said he would never be back, and... Blah, 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 and especially he's back in WWE, he's a coward, and, all, you know, like, the typical, like, weird anti-punk shit. Mm -hmm. So, while we recognize that it's not punk really wants to go get back in the WWE, it's that Fox is sort of making an offer to him that he is like, okay, like, sure, like, if you guys want me to do that, I'll take it. But I think the, I think the dialogue about it is just going to be really frustrating and really annoying just like everything around CM Punk tends to be right and it's I mean obviously we're nothing if not both punk fans we've talked about him pretty regularly how much we appreciate CM Punk and like I said think that he's in the conversation as legendary all-time wrestling figure so it makes sense that Fox is trying to <clears throat> make this work with the WWE that they're gonna want some heavy hitters and punk is a heavy fucking hitter especially as an analyst I mean he's done some but, MMA but, commentary but people like people can look back at his at his legacy all they want but the reality about CM Punk is that this guy was a like a legit ratings boost 
this guy on top was a legit, a legit like, oh, his segments do very well, and people come in droves to see him. Right. So, you know, again, like it, it makes sense from the Fox perspective of they want to make this SmackDown investment worth it. So, bring in somebody that's potential that can potentially do that. There's a reason why Kofi, there's a reason why Kofi Kingston is about to lose the title to Brock Lesnar. Yeah. You know, they're they're really trying to go full on full on board with this uh with this SmackDown thing and make it feel important and make it feel like stars are there. So, you know, Punk fits the bill. Do you, do you think Fox shells out the cash to get Brock showing up regularly on on SmackDown? Man, I, I don't I don't know, man. It's it, it, it it's kind of it's kind of feeling like they really they might yeah they might but I'm but, but I'm not but I'm not sure it's it, it's a thing where Brock I could we, I mean, we maybe see him more often but I'm not sure it's like a complete like regular thing because then you're missing the point with Brock too right and I mean but then, like that's but the... obviously like but obviously like Fox people that aren't in wrestling they will they don't under, under they don't understand that and they don't really care they just see Brock Lesnar big name. Make sure he's on the make sure he's on the show every week, even though you know that goes against everything that Brock Lesnar has been the last seven years. Right, and the thing about that with Brock is that it's not just Brock; it's writ large. I mean, every wrestler is made less of a star by being on TV regularly in WWE. That's just how it works now. Um, as bad as that is to say, or as bad as that is to be the truth, and this is not a novel point that I'm coming up with all on my own. I've heard people mention it before, but it's just true. You can just look at the buzz and the popularity behind people. They're when guys are out injured, when guys are, you know, talking about, uh, you know, on social media, staying at home, they're not, you know, whatever they're doing where they're not on television regularly, they become bigger stars than if they're on television regularly, magically. That's just how it works um, in the WWE now. So, unfortunately, you know, that's the thing with that. Um, other other news notes, I guess, that are pertain to our circle of the internet is the WXW Tag League coming up and a lot of issues, a lot of... Uh, cancellations due to injuries a lot of people not showing up a lot of people pulling themselves because of having needing a maybe mental health days <laughs> or something i don't know what's going on with the with walter there but uh seems like a snake bit tournament but historically i think that tournaments that kind of have these issues that are out there in the public and big switches and swaps a lot of times end up overing delivering over delivering so what do you think about the chances that Tag League this year seems on paper to be snake bit and not going to deliver much. Might end up actually over delivering. Ends up being a, a good show. What do you think? I mean, it'd be it'd be it'd be one thing if I thought that the field looked particularly good or interesting this year, but I don't think I don't think it does. And you know, when your back's against the wall, it is true a lot of the time you come up with your best material. But with WXW, I feel like they're so creatively dry right now that 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 doesn't. Inspire, inspire me to think that they might turn it around or have some sort of like renaissance period for the weekend with uh, with their booking just because they have no other choice. So it's, it's weird too. Like Rip, like Riptide had to had to shuffle th- some shuffle some things around. Uh, they had they had some people that weren't confirmed that weren't uh, announced yet get pulled, and I wonder who those people would have been. So there's people that weren't announced yet had to get pulled from the tag team for the tag team gimmick that they were gonna do. So now you're getting like so now you're getting a lot of the, a lot of teams uh getting put together, um make make makeshiftly. Daniel Makabe and Chris Brooks were getting put to, are getting put together as a tag team in the riptide in the riptide thing, and they were opponents on one of the days of the of the Brighton Spirit. So yeah, a whole lot of 
shuffles and changes going on. And like we like we were talking about last week, they're really like WWE is they played nice for a while and now they're really getting back to like, okay, well, this, these are our people and we and me and our company directly needs to load up for whatever shit that we're about to get into. So we 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 can't be worried about you guys. Right. And it's I mean, it's popping off. I guess that'll be kind of the transition into it. The Wednesday night war starts and the first shot across the bow is a pretty big one for AEW. Um, you said you pulled up the, the numbers there. Do you want to want to just start out talking about the numbers before we even talk about the show and our takes on it? I mean, yeah, because, like, the reality of it is, like, me and me and you have always been up front that, like, we are we want AEW to succeed, but we're not sure, like, AEW is going to be something that we necessarily enjoy or like. And I think we've very been up front in that. And that it could have been like literally like any other company with a with AEW's kind of backing and financing and all that stuff. It could have been MLW and we would have been like, all right, well, shit. I hope I hope they do well. Like we would have always had that stance. Yeah, I mean, but, when MLW was starting, I was even hoping that they would put something together. Yeah. yeah so yeah. So, so here, well, we'll get into the shit like the, both the shows proper and give thought give thoughts on it. I will say that again, we're not coming right up from the, from the perspective of well, this such and such had the better show this week. Like I, I don't think either of us really care. But what happened? What happened here is the ratings for Dynamite. I I thought they might do like eight hundred thousand, eight hundred fifty thousand, something like that. Dynamite did one point one point four across the two hours, and pulled in eight hundred seventy eight thousand viewers. From the eighteen to forty nine demographic, yeah, which is the and, main demographic that advertisers care about. Yeah, and it was that was like strong enough for that to get for that to get second on cable behind um the for, behind the Rays versus Athletics wild card game on ESPN. <laughs> That's pretty uh, good, right? I mean, fuck. Yeah, yeah, really, really, really good, and. NX and NXT got eight hundred ninety one thousand total across across the broadcast, and it was and it was down a little over a hundred thousand from lap from last week, but again, essentially the same numbers, essentially the same audience they had from lap from last week. So before I headed up, before I headed off to you, this is why it was interesting, and I, I forgot to mention in. It had forty. It had four hundred fourteen thousand in the eighteen to forty nine demographic. So, what was very interesting to me is we look at the eighteen to forty nine demographic and how many more were watching Dynamite compared to watching NXT. They let me know, and some people, you know, people that are smarter than me when it comes to this kind of stuff, when it comes to ratings and key and key demos and all that kind of stuff, have already talked about it. So you're. Sean Ross Saps, your David Bixon Spans, and your uh, Chris Harrington's and all and all that have all t- have all touched on this already. Well, not but Harrington, right? He can't really talk can, about it too much anymore. He touched he touched on it a little bit, but yeah, he didn't yeah. like go on like a full like breakdown. Right, right. Um. So the important thing to, uh, important thing here that, that to look at is that when you look at the key demo, the eighteen to forty nine, and the and the people that Dynamite were pulling, it feels like they pulled in more lapsed WWE fans than it is they converted people into watching AEW, which is a very, very strong sign. It's, it, like, if, if they did wind up converting people or taking people away from the from, from the from the NXT and NXT's key target, 
then fine, that's good. But getting people that aren't watching wrestling regularly to tune into the broadcast, I think is a very good sign for AEW. Now, obviously, this is just one-week numbers. No one's going to sit here and go crazy over this long-term. But it's super encouraging. And for me, it, it makes it clear that, yeah, NXT got the move and it's on USA now, but if you're watching NXT... And it, like you're staying with NXT and that's it, but in NXT's attendance and uh, NXT's viewers isn't going to rise either. I feel like it's going to stay flat, exactly exactly where this is, and effectively have the same numbers for the duration that is brought that's being broadcasted on USA. That's what it feels like. It feels like AEW has a little bit more potential as a product just based on the kind of uh, viewers from that from that key demo they were bringing in. Yeah, no, and that's a big, it's a big deal, especially right now, because it's, you know, this has been the golden goose that all TV, all of television is trying to kind of engage. I happen, this is a random anecdote, but I happened to, uh, my wife was like, I've never seen this stupid mass Singer show, it's on Hulu, I'm gonna watch it, and I, so I watched it, and I didn't, I was like, I'm gonna go to bed, I don't give a fuck about this, but, uh, but they had Ninja from Twitch on there, and like, it's the same thing, it's, Cable television, terrestrial television, is trying to get younger people to watch TV, cable TV, and they just can't. And they're trying to figure out what it's going to take to get people to pay attention. And if AEW is getting younger people watching cable television, that's huge. Because that's the biggest conundrum that the market is having right now in general, the television market. And if AEW has figured that out, that's a big deal, you know? Um, And, you know, who knows? Because WWE does pretty well in that in the in the demographic now too, but not you know not as good as they could um, as an overall percentage of their fan base. But AEW, their fan base seems to be strongly in that camp, and it, the thing about it is that it'll continue to grow and the buzz will continue to grow. So they put together some you know eleventh hour deals, getting on in Canada, uh, fixing the issues in in the UK supposedly. Uh, from what I've heard, they're you know. It's going to be on demand within 20, you know, within 24 hours now rather than, so not even a full day later, you'll be able to watch it on demand in the UK now. Still not airing live, but better, and will help to scare off some of the, you know, pirating that will happen um, for fans in the UK. If it's that easy to get it just within a day, I think more and more people will just wait and watch it that way. Uh, people watching Canada, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's huge news for them, and it's, it's really, really awesome to see, um, you know, I can't... You know, I can't say that I'm not, like, in some ways a homer. I don't have a lot of nostalgia, and I don't, like, let this kind of stuff cloud my opinion too much. But it's nice to see the Young Bucks and a promotion that feels like, in a lot of ways, it's grown out of PWG in some ways doing well and and taking something like that to the mainstream. Now, watching the actual show, was that what we got? Not really, you know. But, hey, you know, there's still it's still cool. It's still interesting to see. And I just still want to, you know, continue to see more from it. But this is a good first sign. I, I don't remember what I officially put out there as a prediction, but I do kind of feel like I remember a million. I felt like they would at least get a million fans uh, watching. I thought that there was a good chance of it, and they were a little bit over that. So that's pretty great, you know. I also didn't, you know, I wasn't sure. I don't know this stuff. I don't follow ratings patterns that well, but it sounds like they did pretty well. Did you see? And, um, oh, God. There's a little bit more if you want, if you want to get into that. So... Um, in total, if you want to count like DV, uh, DVR viewership and replay, 
it does go it does go out go up to about two million and then then changes the key demo to about a million a million one hundred thousand. Then we go then we go down and it actually it actually edged out uh SmackDown or last last week's SmackDown in that same demo and 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 beat the and beat the third hour of Raw. And it's not too and it wasn't too far off from Raw's first two hours either. Yeah. So that's a real good sign for their first again, the first episode and courting a, a demographic that's hard to get in general on cable television. And one more, and one, and one more uh the biggest debut for a series on TNT in five years. So Damn. even even if so even if we had did something as to where like well NXT NXT won, well that doesn't really matter. Like people are gonna make it a ratings thing because people crave the uh, t- crave the tension and numbers and all that stuff and like breaking now stuff that might not even really matter. But what really matters here is that AEW show TNT the kind of interest that their product has right now. So once the, once TNT is seeing like, oh shit, like this is the biggest debut our network has had in five years for this wrestling for this wrestling thing. Hell yeah, we're gonna put more money behind that. Hell yeah, we're gonna get more advertising advertising behind that. So more than anything, I think that that's a really encouraging and really good sign for them is that you guys can have your ratings war. You can have, you guys can have your Wednesday night war. But what happened is that our network is going to be really happy with what we just did. Right. And it puts AEW in the catbird seat because isn't their deal with TNT pretty loose to where they have a time where, a, where TNT needs to basically put up the money or AEW could walk, right? Yeah, that's what that's what it seemed like from the jump with the TNT relationship. Yeah, and people were saying it was such a bad move, and it's oh, this is almost like just a, a time buy. It's how bad the deal is, is what some people were saying, and that AEW can't make it with this. Well, if these are the kind of ratings that they continue to pull in, they're going to do just fine when it's time for TNT to have to you know put in some money to keep them on the network. So, I guess I guess we I guess we can get away from the. Numbers talk again. This isn't like this isn't our special specialty. This isn't our foray. But right. looking at it, it was like, did oh, you? Wow. Well, did you see the the statement WWE comments on AEW's de- uh, debut that was posted on um on the Wrestling Observer board or was, not the I board saw, on saw, the page on their website? I saw it. I saw it on Twitter. I was like, I, I was like, that's a re- like really commented on that. I was confused. Yeah, I don't I mean, understand. But I, I don't understand. I really don't understand. But then like the same people will sit here. And tell you that WWE doesn't care about AEW. It's just yeah. really strange. Yeah, it's like why did they need to take the time to comment? And I, I don't know them trying to be you know a little bit pithy, a little bit. Oh, the real winners are the fans, like kind of thing. Like it looks really well, bad when they get beat too. You know, you know all that all that posturing, and we really care about the fans here, giving the fans something to look forward to every week. But, yeah. Uh, okay. You know, yeah. You know. <laughs> that looks. I mean, honestly, that could come across okay if you win, but it really, to me, it just feels really no, I, bad I, I think, when, you're, I, when you lose. I think it looks bad. I, I think it looks bad. I think it looks worse if you win. You think so? Yeah, I think it looks worse if you win because then you take because then you're taking that step down and being like, you know, yeah, we you know we kind we kind of program them and everything, but the real winners here are the fans. Like that. Like to me, that looks to me that looks okay. a little bit weirder. But but still, like making that sort of comment. Again, like I don't know why they addressed that. I don't know what they gain out of addressing that, other than the fact that, yeah, they saw. Other than them saying, yeah, we saw what AEW did, 
and that's fine. But uh, that was all weird to me. Yeah, that was it was a weird move for sure. Either way, depending on what your opinion is, what you think would be worse. I yeah, I think they look pretty bad no matter what for uh, for taking the time to mention it because. I mean, it's fucking obvious. You don't even need to say it. Everyone knows that there's a war going on. You know, it's it's very clear. And I don't know who's, uh, you know, really falling for the veneer there. But I don't know. All that you drive the discussion on the show is really what what do you uh, what do you want to get into when it comes to comparing them? How do you want to do this? This is a weird thing because it's like I'm hearing like you know I'm some people literally comparing the show segment by segment like they watch them live flipping flipping back and forth, which I didn't do. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'll let you kind of take the reins on on going through the reviews of the shows or just talking about the shows overall. So, like NXT effectively did like a takeover card for their for for their show this week, which you know again it's good. Like I have no problem watching that, but I think it's a very interesting contrast to how AEW was clearly taking everything slow, taking their time, and using their two hours to introduce everybody and. People talk about how like Vince McMahon like thinks like the audience is idiots, or he thinks like he's getting new new viewers every time the show like the show is happening or whatever. So we baby, so he like spoon feeds the audience information, which might not necessarily be needed because like again your audience is the same people watching every single week at this point. But with AEW and the fact that all their shows have been on pay per view or BR live or BR live at this point, they do need to do, kind of do that introductory stage. So. You're getting introduction to Cody Rhodes and seeing how beloved Cody Rhodes is. You're seeing Chris Jericho being being the clear bad guy attacking Cody Rhodes and going in the break and him attacking him and all that stuff. We're getting to see SCU. We're getting to see the Lucha Brothers. We're seeing all this stuff. And what I liked is that they realized, hey, you got you might not know a lot of who who these guys. You might not know who a lot of these guys are. So we're gonna put this out right here out in front of you. These are important people, and these are people that are going to be on the TV going forward in meaningful capacities. And and NXT took the approach: uh, we're just going to put our best foot forward, and we're just going to have like this takeover like card, and see and see where that gets us. So I thought the two approaches were interesting. Yeah, there was, I mean, big, huge contrast in a lot of ways. Like not just that. I mean, yeah, like the 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 amount of different kinds of segments, different types of presentations that they were what they were giving you on AEW versus NXT what they're giving you feels like the same NXT from the network they didn't really up the production and not even from the network honestly you're right this felt like a takeover it felt like what they decided to do was try to do a takeover and I would say the biggest issue with that is that you didn't advertise it that way and so I don't know that that helps you because and you didn't really even have time to build to it most of these matches didn't have any real build they could have maybe some of them could have been better with some build and some background in general um so it really felt slapdash thrown together where AEW seemed well planned well paced and had some it was, major issues it was, it, was, it was very meticulous and had some surprises like yeah we'll get to it but like Rio versus nyla rose like maybe the like the best like the best match on the AEW show for me right and i and... was i was not into it. i like coming into it those were two the two probably shakiest women that they had in their roster, I thought, for what I was going to expect for the, you know, what was going to deliver here, and, and it over-delivered. And so, like, I liked, I liked the approach there. People were talking about AEW's first hour on Twitter, and I was like, well, they clearly weren't trying to, like, go crazy in that first hour. So 
that back to back, you wind up we wind up getting Hang- Hangman Page versus Pack, and we wind up, and then we get and we get Rio versus Nyla, and right there, like that was like okay, there we go. We put we put the best foot forward. The crowd is super invested in these matches, so these matches come across great. They're really good matches, are structured very well, and we'll talk about the like weird ass like angle and whatever they did to end the show, but that one two punch of Hangman and Pack and Nyla versus Rio. That's that was really really defining for the night for me. Yeah, it was a really interesting per like kind of um, perspective or take on how to put together a show that was different. And so I I see the argument, especially in the Slack and in just in general about people talking about it being different. It doesn't seem different enough. Why does it seem just like WWE? Why do you have to just do everything the same as WWE would? And I think that that was. That's true in a lot of ways, but I think there's a big picture kind of philosophy that's overlooked here that was really different than how a lot of stuff is done in that you had the solid matches, like you talk about the work rate matches, really being stuck in the middle of the card in the middle of the show, sandwiched with the big personalities, big hoopla, which is not historically how wrestling is done. A lot of times you would do the underneath is kind of whatever filler and then into the main events, the top of the show is where the big action is and, and even the um kind of work ready kind of matches you know historically it's kind of more the way people do it or people do just all star power and don't really worry about work rate but to do like build the the show with the middle being the work rate stuff to deliver to show that you have that but then also have the characters the hoopla the everything else that stands out sandwiching that is is an interesting way now is that a huge difference from anything else no but it is a different philosophy in general so to say that like AEW is just doing the, everything the same as WWE, basically, and coming across like they could... It's, I mean, sure, there's some little details and things like that that they could change. But I also think that there's some novel stuff that they're already kind of doing differently. I think that the biggest thing for me that I noticed while watching it is the difference in quality as far as just, like, the camera work and presentation. AEW is blue NXT out the water. Right. I'll be, I'll be like, up, like, up front. And this went down to, like the backstage segments they were doing this came like in a lot of that it's not even like the cameras that they're using it's a lot of like the lighting tricks that they're using and all that stuff and WWE has had great moments of this but when you compare AEW and compare NXT AEW just looks better AEW was presented better and I thought that was a big thing people might not care about the aesthetics and pro wrestling but when this is, this is the debut show and you're clearly getting people that are last WWE fans coming in and, wa- and watching this show, put, presenting something that looks good and catches the eye is gonna is a very, very big test for them. And I thought AEW for sure knocked NXT out in that department. Um, NXT was a good show. I thought it was a very good show, honestly. And this goes back to them loading it up. It's sort of like a take into a, into a takeover capacity. Look at the card they did: Riddle versus Cole, Shirai versus Mia Yim, Gargano versus Thorn, Baszler versus Candice, Pete, du- Pete Dunn versus uh, versus Danny Burch. The Undisputed Era showing up. They loaded this. They loaded this card up. And if you're going at it thinking this like from a straight wrestling perspective, yes, of course, NXT had the better show. But like this is way bigger than who's having the who like, who's having the in ring best show. And right there, like I can tell you that NXT did, but I don't think that they had as much of a lasting impact or lasting impression that AEW was that AEW was going to. It just felt like a it just felt like one of those mid middle tier takeovers, just 
done on the USA Network and having tighter time constraints. AEW feels like it might ha- is going to have moments, it's going to have stuff about it that you remember. Was it a great bell-to-bell show? No, but I think there is stuff from AEW that was more encouraging than it came down to just being like an in-ring thing. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely true. And I, I would say I preferred AEW as a show. NXT was definitely had some good wrestling. But, you know, there's also like the opening match. I mean, Riddle and Cole to me was not, you know, amazing. I didn't really love it as a match. It had definitely, of course, had overkill. But I think they did a good job to kind of get over that by having Balor show up afterwards um, to kind of make that be the focus. Uh, obviously, Dream Segment was good. But, like, damn, that was like the only segment on the show that wasn't wrestling really like was just the the dream coming out um so that was very interesting to show that because i mean i get it because he's a good personality and he's good on the mic and all that stuff but he's not like a guy who that's needs to be his only focus because i actually also think that dream is pretty good in the ring so you know do you do you think that wwe sort of misfired with like just like doing the like those like the straight wrestling approach and thinking that that's what the fan base wanted Oh, I think definitely. Because, like, you can say, like, oh, that's what the AEW fan base thinks they are. And, like, I don't even, I don't even believe that. They're the same fan base that, like, watches Being the the Elite and, and watch it and eats up all the YouTube content and all, and all that shit. A lot, a lot, that's a lot of those same fans. NXT has always been the one that, that prided prided itself on being, like, bell to bell, every match, great match, all that stuff. And, I felt like they were loading up NXT in hopes of, well, AEW can't compete with us in that regard, so, ha, but, again, it just it just didn't feel like that was AEW's focus, and when you compare it, it just looks like NXT's almost trying too hard compared to AEW being method- methodical in the approach. Yeah, and, and you know what AEW did really good on TV here is there was no real references or call-outs or even little snidely stuff to WWE. And that was a thing that people had talked shit about a bunch, like with Cody destroying the, the the throne and all that kind of stuff. Like, they didn't do any of that on TV. And then we talked about it, but WWE releases a statement talking about it, and you're not hearing really anything from AEW officially talking about the war. And, and like you said, it looked... It came across blatant. NXT stacked up this show to try to compete, and AEW looked like they're focused on themselves, which is looks great. Like, it looks so good to see, like... Holy shit, they just came in with a TV show. They didn't do anything. They had a good TV show, but they didn't go over the top. They didn't burn any big time money matches. They didn't they had some angles and some debuts that were really smart and well placed, honestly. But uh but they didn't go over the top. They were really reserved and they also didn't they stayed above the fray and didn't even reference that they're competing with WWE in a way that you know could, didn't even give you a chance to question or think about or at least for me watching it to think of comparing it to WWE. The only thought that at one moment popped into my head was I just had this thing where I was like, it feels like this is the door opening up to being like, there can be major league wrestling that's for me for the first time in a very long time. Because, you know, WWE is just never has been. It's just never been my thing. It never will be. But this feels like it could be. You know, I'm not saying that it 100% is, but it feels like it could be. And that's kind of nice for me because after years of really being like, I just don't really like too much big production. And I still don't. But it feels like a wrestling show that I could watch and be able to enjoy that is all the glitz and glamour and big time stuff. of a Like if AEW comes to the West Coast, I'll go to a show. 
If WWE comes to the West Coast, I'll never, I never will. They come all the time. I don't go. But if AEW does, I would actually go. I was actually thinking about it. So that's something, you know? And and that is a big part of that. NXT seemed to be trying to get... And I think one of the most glaring things about it is that they tried to do all this, but the people who came across like the biggest stars and the thing that came across like the biggest star was the Street Profits entrance. That was the thing that seemed to get the crowd the most hyped and the most into it and really came across like a big deal with Wale and the Street Profits coming through the crowd... And that was done terribly. I did. I did not think that the execution was good. But it was the only thing on the. Sh- it's just so. It's just so weird. Like again, like I'm not faulting them for doing this, but when you when you're comparing the products and comparing what they put out there, NXT is just trying so fucking hard, and it almost feels like to no avail. Right. Yeah, and that's oh, and my point yeah. is like the biggest thing. The thing that got the biggest reaction to me was nothing in ring, but it was the entrance song you know and that just shows that we talked about that that's what they you know nxt is acting like that's what the fans are about but it's kind of at this point it's kind of not that's kind of going to the wayside work rate is not the end all be all right now as much as it used to be they like they like to uh bang bang their heads to undisputed era's theme and say adam cole baby and velveteen dream and like, like like that like that's what the nxt fan base is right now so seeing them go so wrestling heavy was 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 for sure weird, but I guess we can break down and we can break down NXT first. But I'm not sure we're gonna really gonna break it down, um, in depth. I guess it's a, like it's, it's good matches. Not a lot of matches that I have a lot of feelings on, but they were good matches. Uh, Adam Cole versus Matt Riddle. I saw some people didn't like this match. I thought it was good. Uh, you know, Canadian like Canadian destroyers and all and all this stuff and. Some people like are eye rolling with that at this point, but I but I liked it, and I think Matt Riddle has looked really good in every single NXT match he's had so far. So I was encouraged to see him look so good again here. But uh, I kind I kind of wish they might have pulled the pulled the pulled the trigger on on on, Matt, on Riddle over Cole just to see like how serious they were taking this week this Wednesday Night Wars thing. But I thought I thought this was all right. Yeah, I mean it was fine. Like I said, overkill, lots of overkill, and it didn't feel like the big show opener that got everything just got you super excited and into everything. And I think that having a title change, there would have been probably a really smart move. Um, like you said, to really show that you're all in, you know, unfortunately it's part of my pun, um, on this war. So, but I'm with you. Riddle looks great. And Riddle, I talked about Tyler Bate before, how I think he's a guy who actually does better in the WWE system because it changes his style. Riddle's one of the rare guys who I think is just as good working very similar to how he did on the indies in NXT, and it's still getting over and still being allowed to kind of stay in that that vein. So, yeah, he's looking really good, and he's not really changing much about his style, and he's still... You know, he doesn't do as much grappling and groundwork, but he didn't do a lot of that on the indies, really, but, I mean, now it's, like, non-existent. But, you know, still, I mean, he's doing... He's Yeah, he's looking really good. Uh, Shirai versus Mia Yim. As I'm watching this again, I wasn't really paying attention to a whole bunch of tw- a whole bunch of the Twitter dialogue when and they were broadcasting live. I was watching AEW, so I'm not really pay- paying like super attention to NXT. But I liked I liked this match and it just like kept going, and I was like really surprised at how long this match was. And this was my favorite match on the show for sure for sure for me. But oh, it just got way more time than I was anticipating. And I think that's when I realized, like, the kind of night that we're about to begin for, where, yeah, NXT is really going, you know, again, all in with this with this, with this in-ring stuff. But I really liked it. Io Shirai, Io Shirai looked great. 
Mia Yim. She needed to bounce back after that shaky match with Shayna at TakeOver. And I thought these two had the perfect bounce, ma- bounce back match for for Mia. And Io continued to build herself up in NXT. Yeah, and I'm, I'm with you. Really loved this match. I thought that both girls showed a hard edge, which was nice. And I think does help with Mia Yim kind of reestablishing herself. And Io basically establishing herself or, or whatever um, here in, in NXT. Both of them really establishing themselves. I guess they haven't, neither one of them has really been commodities in NXT yet. But uh, but yeah, and Mia, I like Mia because she's able to have an edge as the baby face kind of underneath uh, that helps bring out a little bit more toughness from, from Io wrestling as a heel. Shani Gargano versus Shane Thorne. People are going to skip over this, but I have always been a really big Shane Thorne fan. And I was I was happy to see him in a position where he gets a sort of prominent match on NXT TV with somebody, and I think he's I always thought he had potential, and I'm not sure that any of this is going to be followed through on by NXT. I'm not sure if this if like this push or renewed push is going to result in anything, but I, I I did enjoy him versus Johnny, and it was encouraging to see Shane in this position. Yeah, I really liked Shane in in this spot a lot. I thought that he was real game, stood toe to toe with with. Johnny here and didn't come across like lesser um you know in just the performance aspect which I think that a lot of people who don't really know Shane Thorne that well could think that he wouldn't you know just because he hasn't had the best run in NXT yet but uh but he brought it in this one and yeah I just I unfortunately think that the like he's got a little bit of a stink on him and just with the way that WWE has been it's like as soon as you get kind of put in a certain position it feels like no one ever get is able to be brought back from the from the edge so i think that it's really easy for the crowd to just instantly overlook him now and expect that it's just you're just waiting out the time for him to get released basically um and not thinking that there's any chance that they'll ever put anything behind him which is a, a shame because they could and he probably could do something so we'll see maybe maybe this is one of the rare times where they stick with it and actually work through this and actually make something out of someone but i'm not sure what's going to end up happening NXT is such a crowded place, and like you could say that it's what like what a belt like the North American title is for, you know, to be to be the mid card belt for 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 the for the NXT TV show. But yeah, if we if we wind up getting like something like like Thorn versus Dream over the North American title, I wouldn't be mad at that. But at, at this point, that's what it feels like the use of the North American belt needs to be, because because if you don't do that, then the promotion or whatever the tv show is just so crowded and then someone like shane thorne can't really break break through and that's going to be a big problem like nxt has already had that with like the limited time they had being an hour-long show and everything and people never feeling like they can reach their max potential now you're bringing down people like finn balor back to nxt and there might and there's probably gonna be more people coming down it's, it's gonna be a really crowded tv show yeah i mean with only two hours and and that's it for this giant roster i mean that's Something's got to give because there's going to be people who just aren't making TV at all. The other thing, and we're saying like, and we're saying like only two hours, but remember, like, it's a, it's a giant fucking roster, right? Like that, like that, like that's the problem. The roster's so big that it's hard to just have like, like maintain like any kind of continuity when you're bringing people down and all that stuff because you want to outgun and outman the AEW guys. And AEW's and AEW's roster is like so small that when you can cycle guys out for a few weeks, and I think it'll be just fine. And NXT used to be that way. I don't think you can cycle guys out in NXT at this point, right? And that's the thing. It's just when it wasn't an established third brand with in 
on a you know cable television thing, it was kind of acceptable that there were so many people that weren't getting used because you knew that they were just going to eventually get their time. But now when you think of it as more of a static promotion that doesn't necessarily mean that people are going to be leaving, it does feel more and more like, well, what are you going to do with all these guys? You know, I mean, um, Kona Reeves, what the fuck do you do with that guy now? Really? Because he's not like a developmental project that you can build something to. He's a guy who you just can't really be on TV. So... So, you know, what are you going to do with someone at his level? And he's even on the higher end of people. There's people who just haven't been on TV at all that are in way worse positions than he is, honestly. Uh, Shayna Baszler versus Candice LeRae for the NXT Women's title. A little disappointing for me. I thought this would, like, reach, like, a next level, and it never really got there. And I feel like that's been the problem with a lot of Shayna matches this year. This goes back to like, this goes back to the EO title match and, and, and a few other matches where it's been good. It's good Shayna work. Shayna is one of the best wrestlers in the world at working at working on top and doing control segments. But I know it just hasn't been clicking the same way this year. And I was expect, I was expecting great things from Shayna versus Candice, and it never and it never reached that for me. Yeah, she really feels like she's on the treadmill, unfortunately. And then now with this switch to you know NXT brand again the same thing it's it really questions what's going to happen because even while i was still really enjoying her last year i was already thinking about what's the next move she's got to move forward she's got to leave nxc so she can freshen up and do some more stuff and now it's like you're she's getting stale she's not delivering as much this year and there's not really a definite endpoint in sight to say like she's going to go to the main roster because it feels like she could be someone who stays on the nxc brand because she delivers for them but She's not going to reach her full potential as a performer there. Not even just star power or, you know, making money or whatever, but, like, realistically growing. I, she's just not... She's going to stagnate at what she is, which is a really good wrestler. Great wrestler. One of the best. But I think she could develop a lot more, you know, having to deal with being on the main roster, on the road, wrestling in front of different kinds of crowds more. Um, and that's just not going to happen. How surprised are you that they didn't pull the trigger on Candice LeRae? Not very, honestly. After the after the first match with Riddle not winning the title, I just I, I kind of didn't expect it at all here. Because if you're gonna do that, I think you would do it there, and I don't think that you would do it here, really. If I'm perfectly honest, um, and that just shows where they were at with their commitment to shaking actually shaking anything up. They thought that all they had to do was deliver good matches, and that was going to be enough to get you know the attention of the AEW fan base. I don't. I, I just don't know what to do with Shayna. Is like well, who does she lose to? Is is the end game here still Bianca Belair? Because I, I I don't know. I don't know, man. And NXT has all is one of the, is another one. It has the same problems like the rest of WWE has at this point, where it has all the potential to be a great show. It has all the talent in the world to be a great show, and now it feels like they're getting in their own way because now like Bianca has been like so de-emphasized that's like well if Bianca wins the, wins the title now it's just, it's just not the same as it would have been last year yeah it's been it's been odd because the women's title felt like it was in such a weird free fall for a while after um Asuka Asuka's run and then it felt like it got stabilized with Shayna but the issue with Shayna now is that she's a majorly singular entity that's kind of sucked all the life out of the rest of the division um so it does feel it's hard to even think of where they can go with anybody, any of the players on the table. I mean, I guess they could try to build Mia back up. They could do something with Bel Air. They could go to Candace again later. But it just, 
yeah, it is questionable. And they probably could have gone with this here and probably would have been a good move just to uh, to shake things up and establish Candace. But we'll see where they go. Uh, Pete Dunn versus Danny Birch. I don't, I, don't, I don't have much to say about this. I thought this was fun for what it was. Pete Dunn is, you know, he's been very hit or miss the last couple of years. More, more miss most of the time than hit. But I thought I thought I thought this was fun. They got in and got out. Uh, shortest shortest match on the show, and it was it was hard hitting. I liked a lot. I liked a lot of the little stuff they did in it, but not too much to write home about. Right. This is one of the matches when I'm talking about that they could have done some build if it was a takeover. This match, if it had some build, I think could have been a lot better. But cold. This was not much to it. It was a nice fight. It was real gritty. They really beat the fuck out of each other at times, which is good from these two kind of smash mouthy style, but. Seeing Dunn and his look and how he's evolved and he just looks like a fucking mess. And then without a title belt, it almost made it worse to me. I'm just like, you know. He looks like a, like, a, like a random weirdo. Yeah, with the championship, it's like, okay, he's the he's the champ. But without the championship, he just looks like a like almost a semi-homeless oh, yeah, totally. person. It's, it's, just... it's, it's, the same, it's the same thing as Jericho. Like, as, when we were like, as watching Dynamite and I see Jericho come out, like if, just like if Jericho didn't have this belt, he just looked like a fucking weirdo. Yeah. That's I'm hoping like whenever he loses it, he, he like changes it up, like maybe cuts the hair, changes up the gear, something. Because keeping that and you're not the champ, you just look strange. Yes, that's definitely that's kind of the, the case right now with with uh, with Pete. But like like I'm with you. I, the, it was a good you know hard hitting kind of brawly type match that got in and out pretty quick. Um, but if it had had some build, you could have you know it could have been actually pretty fun. All right. Main event tag team titles, undisputed era versus the Street Profits. I don't need twenty minute Street Profit matches. I don't. I, I, right. I don't need it. And Montez Ford is getting better, and I think Montez Ford still has a lot of potential. I mean, though, I think the potential is weird now because like, I don't know like what like what they have planned for with these guys. But I like seeing uh, I like seeing O'Reilly and Bobby Fish back together. I I, I really I really do enjoy that. But um, and, and and as I say this, I just remember that Roderick Strong won, <laughs> won the North American title. So I don't know. I, I completely forgot that he won it. I think what two weeks ago yeah. on, the first, on the first broadcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I like I like seeing Bobby Fish and O'Reilly back to back back together, and I thought they performed really well in this. But again, I, I just don't think the Street Profits are good enough to sit here and put them in these twenty minute match spots as the sympathetic baby faces in. Real, real me in. Yes, the undisputed era are good, and I think they do a good job in the building of getting the street profits over during the match. But I, it just doesn't hit for me. It doesn't doesn't land for me. And while I thought it was like a really good singular performance from uh, the undisputed era, I just I don't need to see I don't I don't need to see street profits in matches this long anymore. Yeah, the, that's the weird thing about the street profits is that like I talked about them feeling like the biggest stars on the show. They simultaneously feel like they need to be pulled up to the main roster, but also that they need more time to develop as an act. It's kind of the same conundrum as the Enzo and Big Kaz team was when they were at NXT. They're on the main roster, but they do it, but they're in like only in segments. Right. They only, they only do they only do backstage segments, segments on the main roster, and then they come down here, and then they're in the tag team title hunt and doing twenty minute matches in NXT. It's really, really weird what they have going on right now in WWE. Yeah, and it, it, well, and it makes sense though because they do need to develop in ring and they need to have better matches. But 
this is not the place to do it honestly they need to be doing like house shows and stuff like that um and like if you're trying to do a show that feels like a takeover with all big matches this is not the main event unfortunately um Undisputed Era, yeah, like you said, look great. It, or not Undisputed Era. Well, I guess they are Undisputed Era, yeah, really. I was going to correct myself and say Red, yeah, are. <laughs> say Red Dragon, but Undisputed Era. Um, they looked, you know, they look great here, obviously. Um, it's good to see them back together. Um, it is, it does, you know, kind of make you remember, though, the, the Kyle and Roddy team just was a little bit better. I don't know. They just, they were. But hopefully uh, Red Dragon can get back to, to it and maybe even surpass that team. Um and yeah, the Street Profits, I just don't know, because neither one of them are super dynamic sellers, and, and that seems to be the basis of most of their big tag matches. Yeah, that's the problem. Like, yeah. They're not, like, they're not, neither of them are really that good of sellers, so we are going to do this long Undisputed Era Heat segment, which is what they what their matches are. They're slow, methodical, a lot of limb targeting and isolating and all that stuff, and none of, neither of them are that good of sellers, so... Like, like it's, it's it's really weird, man. I, I don't know. I don't know what to do with those guys. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like I said, it's, it reminds me in some ways of the Enzo Big Cast team, where they're they're over enough, but the in ring is just not there. Uh, going to Dynamite now. Something I do want to praise AEW for is they're making the live experience worth it for sure. When it come when it comes to Dynamite, and I'm saying this because if you look at the dark matches that were on this Dynamite, that were on this Dynamite card. You had Darby Allen versus Shima, which which um like the dark opener, and then a- and then after the closing angle and everything, you got the Lucha Brothers and um and Helico and Jack Evans versus best friends and private party. You got Ali and Britt Baker versus B Bre- 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 Priestley and uh, Penelope Ford, and then you got SCU versus Jurassic Jurassic Express. And to me, I, I really like that. I like the fact that if you do that and then and then the word gets out people are more inclined to come to the show because oh shit like they make the actual dark matches and coming early and staying after worth it because you're gonna get some cool stuff afterwards right no and that's true but the one thing that's worrying to me about this and it's one thing i thought about watching the show is it didn't feel like there was a lot of matches on the show and i just worry that running that many as many dark matches as they do on the same shows it's like is this the start the inkling of that dynamite turns into a three-hour show you know what i mean because if you if you're already having that many matches anyways in the building it's like when do you when does tna say well why don't we just start putting an extra hour of those matches on tv um which i think would be a bad move honestly there's never been a good three hour wrestling show especially especially if aew sustains that success too when it and it remains as one of tnt's highest broadcast of the week yeah uh yeah, that, that that's that's gonna be that would be a problem, um. But yeah, I mean, I, I like the idea of just making the live experience worth it. When you go to like WWE events and you look at the dark matches that they have on events, it's never it's never usually anything that would like catch your eye or be like, oh, okay, I'll see after I'll see after for, for this. That sounds cool. It's always just something that seems a little half-assed and no one's really no one's really gonna give any effort. And from what I understand, like these guys were going out there in, in the dark matches and uh actually actually doing stuff. So, we can go. We can go back from the top. Oh well, yeah, Darby and, cool. and Shima is like the antithesis of what you get from a WWE, you know, Raw dark show, dark match kind of vibe. You know what I mean? Because it's just 
two big stars having a singles match. Not even two big stars, but two stars having a singles match of legend versus an up-and-comer. And that's not the kind of thing that you would ever see as a dark show match on a WWE I was actually, show. I was, actually, I was actually upset that they had that as a dark show. I know. Match. I was I really like, wanted to see that. You'd really want to see it. The dark show matches on WWE shows are like, you know, yeah, like trios or four, you know atomicos where it's all about like hitting the big spots and and doing playing the hits and then you know sending the crowd home happy instead of doing anything that feels like it matters darby versus sema feels like a match that matters it feels like a match that's going to matter for darby's career like what he gets out of that it feels like something that i like you said i really wish i'd get to see it all right so cody versus sammy Guevara to open to open the show the first match in dynamite history and I thought it was really smart. Cody, whatever you want to, whatever you want to say about him, and Cody has like again, he's one of those guys that have like terrible discourse around him. But any whatever, whatever you want to say about Cody, Cody's over as fuck, mm-hmm. and like way more and significantly way more over than everyone else in the elite. And that's saying something. He's way more over than Kenny is right now. Way more over than the Bucks. Way more over than Paige, and. Cody being such a hot star right now, Cody probably should win the belt. Cody probably should win at full gear and be the and be the guy going forward. Maybe they don't do it at full gear. Maybe they do the uh, feud between Cody and the Elite versus Jet versus Jericho and his and his goons or whatever. Maybe they stretch stretch that out a little bit longer. But Cody being so over is it was the big takeaway here. And I, I really like the fact that Sammy Guevara was getting strong heat throughout the entire match. Sammy is someone that me and you have liked for years. We championed for years. But he's never really been a regular anywhere. He's never gotten a strong push anywhere. And seeing him come out and get the reaction that he did, it was like, okay, well, if they if they go forward with this, Sammy could be like the one of the strong mid-card heels that they have. Yeah, and this is how you do it. You take a star and you put him in there with a guy who could be a star and you actually make him into a star using it. You don't just, like, do back and forth bullshit and and just booking that makes no fucking sense. This is how you do it. Cody's a star. He's a huge star. Super smart politically on the Cody is the shadow ace of the company. It's not even fucking a shadow at this point, but really smart move in that he comes out and not even just he's in the first match, but he's the first entrance on the show. So he's the first wrestler that you see on the show. He's the big, he feels like the biggest star. He is the biggest star. Gets a huge reaction. Plays this match relatively straight, which I think is really good because you talk about all the bullshit on the social media and too cute and all this, and people are really complaining about it. But the stuff with Sammy Guevara and Cody on, on YouTube has been jokey and playing around with like this idea that everyone can tell that Gravar is actually a heel, but he's you know pretending like he's a babyface or whatever, like all that kind of stuff. This match, there's none of that. The commentary Terry doesn't make any hints to it. Gravar is 100% heel, and the only thing that even puts it into question a little bit is post match they go for the handshake, but luckily it gets cut off before it can be too much of like a, a cringy moment of why would Gravar why would Gravar go for a handshake and why would Cody give him a handshake after. He pulled his wife into the way on the fucking suicide dive. He should hate him. He shouldn't be okay with right. a handshake. So luckily they don't go too far with that handshake hug bullshit. It gets cut off. And Gravara doesn't help. Gravara disappears. So, you know, it, it plays into, again, just pure heel, great heat. Cody, again, looks like a million bucks. I don't, you know, I'm not going to argue how great of a wrestler he is. I actually think he's weirdly underrated by some people for his quality of in-ring wrestling. Um that said he's clunky as fuck he's not like a super athlete but he's a he knows how to work he may not be a great wrestler but he's a great worker 
Um, and but you talked about how good the camera work was on uh, on AEW. Well, here's one example of it. Like I said, Cody, not the smoothest guy. The Spanish fly was shot from an angle that helped cover up the fact that it went over all cattywampus because of Cody not being a super athlete. You could barely notice. Only I could notice because I'm a, a big time nerd like that. You know what I mean? But like casual viewers who don't watch as much wrestling don't pay as much attention. That angle was a really good way to cover that up for Cody. So, hey, again you know great camera work good in-ring worker good you know wrestler to get the crowd into the match and and try to help get somebody over even when they you know even in a loss so yeah great great opener and just a really smart match all around we go to mjf versus brandon cutler seeing brandon cutler on the first broadcast was something i did not expect at all right but um um he comes out and it's essentially a squash match mjf getting some mic time something I was very excited for. They clearly know or clearly see that they have a star in the waiting or potential star in MJF and him being him again, being one of the first things that you see during it, during your, during the broadcast is a great, is a great thing. And it's allowed to take away here because it was a squash, but during the, during the ending of it, Brandon Cutler is on the top rope and he slips off and he sells it as he hurt his leg. He hurt his leg, and he's limping. He goes limping towards MJF, who's all the way across the ring. And MJF pulls a ref, pulls a ref in the way, and all this stuff. And you know, which a chicanery finish, and MJF winds up putting him away with the Fujiwara armbar. But I want to get your thoughts. Did that? It went like so smoothly as far as like leading into the finish that I almost I almost feel like that was planned. But a lot of people were like taking up take like taking that as like well they were like covering for a botch or whatever. But it felt like to me like as they were establishing MJF as this chicken like chicken shit heel and then getting his finish over, but not putting him over too strong as like some dominant force. Yeah, and I think it made sense in a lot of ways. I mean, it's it was too smooth for me to believe that it was an actual botch and covering for it. MJF yeah, is a, it, went, it, went, it went way too good. Yeah, MJF is a natural, but he hasn't proven to be that much of a natural, and he is relatively green still. I think it was just a way to put over. Cutler is still shaky because he had a long layoff. They put that over constantly that he didn't wrestle for a long time, so he slipped off the top rope. And MJF took advantage of it because he's a crafty, conniving asshole. And so, yeah, I mean, you don't want heels winning clean. Like, I, we're all, I think, too used to it now because WWE doesn't really think that way. But I think you do want your heels, that, you know, losing at least with some kind of bullshit. It doesn't have to always be 100% cheating, but it can be something like this. But it was just a little awkward and a little bit underhanded, but just not clean. And that's kind of the way you want your heels to win because you don't want them getting clean wins because... People like winners, and you know what I mean. So that's kind of the thing. You want to make it so that people don't like him. So yeah, I think that it was it was the finish, and I think that it was kind of a good finish. And and realistically, if it's getting people questioning it, then that's it's kind of done its job as a really clever finish because people didn't see it coming, wouldn't have predicted it, and they're like, "Huh, that had to have been a mistake." Well, maybe it wasn't. Pack versus Pack versus Adam Page. Uh, redoing the match that was supposed to happen at double that was supposed to happen at double or nothing, and man, I, I don't, I don't know. I was a oh, I was well, a, hold on before you get into the match. I just want to talk about the SCU stuff really quick, just because oh, this was the it. first example of two times in here where there was repetitive stuff that was like weirdly stilted though that made it even worse and awkward. Was that you have SCU doing the Obama thing in front of the White House and then 
they're just on the stage cutting a promo and the two things were the same wrestlers back to back but didn't feel connected and so that yeah, was it, just wasn't, a, it wasn't connected at all yeah so it's yeah. just a really weird move to do when you see someone and they did the same a really similar thing twice so it was just kind of one of the things like can't be all praise AEW is kind of hit or miss you know and it was also another pull apart brawl which i guess people are complaining that ever there was too many pull apart brawls on the show so so yeah this was you know a pull apart brawl and and a very awkward thing but the match here um not well not well not only that like when you look at it it's like when you look when you look at the at the promo video that they were doing and then they go to the stage it's like clear like like it infers that you already know who scu is and that you already like scu but if you look at because if you look at it is very clearly like a heel thing. They're saying the Washington DC is like again like the worst town they ever been in. They're old they're old heel shtick. But now it's gotten so over that people cheer for it. Well they don't make that clear during the video at all. They don't they don't make it clear when they're on the stage at all. They just sort of appear and after being like dickheads in the video, they're like the good good old like, you know, honorable sport like sportsman SCU when they were just talking down about talking down about DC. And it, it, you're right. It just didn't feel connected at all. Yeah. No. That's. I mean. That. Yeah. That's completely the the thing. And it's just. It's. It's an awkward move. And it just. It plays into. Unfortunately, this is one of the rare examples on the show. I was giving them credit in a lot of places where they didn't kind of play into the previous buds and the social media stuff and act like you know the crowd here watching needs should already know all the backstory. This is one of those ones where yeah, like they should have maybe done a little bit to help explain it a little bit more for people who don't know all the backstory. Uh. So going back to Pack Pack versus uh Adam Page, man, I, I was sort of a, I was sort of a non-believer at first with Pack that man, you gotta watch him. He's so he's so good. He does all the little things so well and all that. Just because it, like for me, it wasn't translating into great matches. But in AEW, man, I, I feel like the guy has really turned it on. He's put his best foot forward. First with Kenny Omega, now here with now here with Hangman Page, and he has he's had a really good year in general. But another super strong match for uh for Pat for Pack in my opinion. Another non-conclusive or non-clean finish for a for a heel on the show. Pack hits Adam Page below the belt and winds up uh, getting getting the win on him, making him tap out with the with the brutality. I think I think he's calling his, his rings of Saturn gimmick. Is it? But, I think it's brutality or brutalizer. Yeah, yeah brutality or, bru- or brutalizer. But whatever whatever he's calling his his rings of Saturn. But yeah, I, I really like this. Pack looked great. He looked like a star, and Hangman. Um, I, I don't. I don't know, man. He's gonna set up. Gonna set himself up for everywhere. Is he? He set up as to be like we're so sold that he's gonna be like the guy in AEW, but with him losing back to back matches and all that, who knows how that goes? But something to like about AEW is they make it clear, or they make it seem like well, wins and losses are gonna matter here, and so I'm I'm, I'm interested to see where they go with someone like Hangman Page who got to being the number one contender for that AEW title, but now has lost two matches in a row and now his and how his trajectory goes. Yeah, it's it's interesting and it, it'll play into something I'll talk about later on on the show as well. Um, because it feels like Paige's positioning is not necessarily what you would have predicted. Um Pac is fantastic. I think he's a guy who should be in your conversation for a lot of people for top ten wrestler of the year, I think, this year. Um I think I liked, I think I must have liked a lot of the Dragon Gate stuff more than you, just from the way that you're talking about that you weren't really seeing it. Um, oh, oh no, I was seeing it like, like, it was like the level people were going at, like oh, like the KZ match was like one of the ma- best matches of the year, 
you know, stuff like that. And I really liked the Kaylee match. Yeah. But there were things about it that was like, ah, like, yeah, I'm not really like sold on it the way other people are. I really, I really liked the Shun Skywalker match. I liked the Dragon Kid match. I think he was really good in the Ben K match, in like Car- like Car Noir, the uh, the Osprey match, Zach the Zack Saber Junior match. He's had a lot of really good stuff. He's in my top yeah. ten of the year for sure. But I, fe- I felt like people were kind of like going a little too crazy trying to create a narrative for Pack that he like look at him. He's he's already back and he's doing so well already. And I think now he's really hitting his stride for me. Yeah, and I think that I can get where you're coming from on that because as you list those matches, I was kind of thinking like, I guess I see that all great performances from Pac, not all great matches. Great matches. Yeah, yeah, so that's I can definitely see where you're coming from if that's kind of the rubric that you're grading with. Uh, And then we, and then we get into what I thought was the best match, best match of the night. We get Riho versus Nala Rose, and we touched on it a little bit, but we were very concerned about this match going in. Nyla, Nyla Rose is Nyla Rose has been very limited. She I don't think she's been I don't think she's been wrestling very long, and when we uh, think when we think that Kylie Ray versus versus Nyla was probably the original plan, and we're now we're getting Riho in this spot. Riho hasn't been super good in AEW either, so we're putting them out there. People that have been on these AEW shows before the before TV. And we're putting them out in front of the audience, but you know, I, I didn't, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know how the audience would take to it. And man, color me shocked. The audience was super hot for this match. They were really into it, and I was pleasantly surprised. It was worked with like the typical, um, big, big, small dynamic. Nyla ragging Rio around, and Rio fighting from underneath, and Rio selling was really good, to, really good to me, and. Again, like it looked clunky at times, but they were able to overcome it with emo- with emotion and crowd and crowd investment. And it wasn't some mechanically great match, but just as far as exceeding my expectations and making something work, that I was that in a way that I was really surprised by. This is one of those matches. It's like when I was like like Alley Cat versus like Brett Eisen. You see, you've you've seen that match, but like on paper, it's like, oh man, how, how the fuck is this gonna work? But then they go out there and they and they completely blow you away. And I think Alley Cat versus Brett Ison was far was far better than this. But it's in that same vein of like I don't know how they're gonna how they're gonna make this work. And it's like wow, they laid this out completely perfectly. Yeah, this was phenomenal. And one thing that I hit on in the Riho match with uh, Karashita that I thought was a big issue for getting her over um, as the underdog plucky babyface was big kind of signature postage stamp facial selling spots to connect her with the crowd were missing but i think she hit that here repeatedly there was multiple times the stf i thought was a great one where the, you could see her face in the agony but the one that i think and it really was a bummer because they did a replay but they didn't catch it is she gets caught diving onto nyla rose on the floor and nyla catches her basically in a uh, like a fall away slam position is is just marching her with rio in her arms around the ring um, and Rio is shaking her head and screaming and just looks like she's about to die. And then Nyla drops her with a huge kind of a like rib breaker and then drops her on the floor. And it was the phenomenal. It was exactly what I was talking about when I said I needed something that was a big facial selling to connect with the crowd. And it sucks because they didn't did a replay of that spot, but they didn't show her face again on the replay where it just it sucks because it shows that they didn't really. It didn't register, I guess, with the production team how good that was. But it felt like that that big moment, like I was talking about, that I needed something. And then the pluckiness from Rio fighting from underneath. 
Then you got stuff like Nyla looking for weapons and chairs. So, like you said, I mean, she's been shaky. She hasn't been great. But stuff like that really helped put her over as a big monster. Yeah. And she's also pulling apart the ring and looking for tables and chairs and weapons. And she's just a bruiser, badass asshole. And just, yeah, I mean, going repeatedly going back to the STF and just looking like she's, you know, trying to crank her head off of her body. I mean, Nyla hit it. Rio hit it. They really came together. I'm with you. I think that... Anyone who's worth their salt, honestly, with an opinion, I'm hearing report like this is the match of the night, so I don't think you're in any way in the minority saying it's the match of the night. I think it easily was, and I think it really did a great service to establish that hideous, hideous title belt. Um, another like sig- really you know, signature selling spot that stands out, Rio trying to counter the powerbomb and pick up, and she crumples, and that just... It, it's a moment. It's one of those postage stamp moments that people talk about. I talk about Marty Scroll always seeming to try too hard to manufacture fake WrestleMania moments in his matches, but that was a moment, and that was that memorable moment that gets you into Riho and 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 you know, like I said, like helps you connect with her, and that's something that you really needed here for her if she's gonna be the babyface champion. You needed the crowd to be able to connect to her, and I think this was done in the right way commentary was on point here i thought the commentary kept hitting the important talking points the size difference talking about the pin part pinpoint precision you know strikes from rio i really loved the line i think it was excalibur he's like like a bolt of lightning when she does the double stomp you know stuff like that is just i thought was really helped put over the match and the match was great as is and and this goes to show i mean people talk shit about about jim ross and i understand why in a lot of ways but when he's got something good to sink his teeth into on commentary, he can deliver still. And this was a match where you can tell that as it went on, he was enjoying it so much that he becomes a better commentator because he's actually enjoying what he's watching. I'd love to bring that up too. We haven't talked about the commentary, but I don't know. I don't know if I'm in a, if I'm, if I'm in a minority, but I thought I was really concerned about a booth having Chivo, um, Tony, Chivoni, uh, Tony Chivani and Jim <laughs> Ross together. And... Man, I thought th- I thought it was I thought they were good. I thought everyone I didn't, no one no one was really, really talking over each other. No one was really stepping on each other's toes. No one was talking at the same time. They all gave each other gave each other room to breathe when they were going going into the going into their uh, in their talking points. I, I thought that the commentary team was was really good for their for, for their first time doing stuff together. Yeah, I mean you know Ross and Shivani have 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 done commentary together a long time ago oh, yeah, in the sure, past, sure. Oh, but sure. yeah. Yeah, yeah. As far as like all three of them, you yeah. know, Excalibur is the new guy here. He's worked with Jim Ross a few times, but this is all like a new dynamic. And you know, for something that was like totally new for a lot of these guys, like wow, like I, I and I think it's only going to get better too. Yeah, and it was a very it was very encouraging commentary. Yeah, I hope that they're able to build a dynamic, and I think that they will be able to. These are all professionals who are really good, and then you've got Excalibur, who I think that. The issue with the third three-man booth is sometimes that you're not able to have that same natural chemistry that you can get with a two-man booth um, just because there is something about the relationship between two people that's a lot easier to perform, let's say, or to just, you know, and I mean perform not only just as, like, performing outwardly to a crowd, but also just to perform as in, like, to, to, to do go through the motions and have that relationship. You know, that's why most people are in monogamous, you know, two-person couples because that's just like a more natural way to have a relationship three people throuples don't really exist as much and 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 don't have as many or aren't as long-lasting let's say historically um they happen and they work for some people but 
I don't need to get into, you know, polyamory too much here. But my point being that with Excalibur's personality, his sense of humor and his style, I don't worry as much because I think that he's got a boisterous personality and a sense of humor that can help bridge the gap between all three of them in a way that will help to make it so that you can have kind of that dynamic and that camaraderie develop between three people that will probably end up being enjoyable that's why like you said i actually expect for the commentary team to get better but here on their first night together where they're still working out the kinks and getting to know each other they were pretty good i was gonna, I was gonna say i think excalibur's role in the booth is so weird because like jim ross is clearly, clearly positioned as the face when they're taking stuff to like the commentary table and they're all facing the camera and they're leading into a segment or leading in leading into a break and Ross is the guy to do that but Excalibur is sort of the play-by-play guy still and I, I, it's a weird dynamic I'm not sure exactly how long it's going to last in that in that capacity but Excalibur doing the play-by-play but also not being like the voice like the voice guy that leads everything into the breaks was something was something that I took note of and it's, ha- it's been happening on the AEW shows but seeing it happen on TV too was 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 was, a, was something I noted was something I noted from note for me. Yeah, definitely, and it, it is kind of like it almost feels like uh, Excalibur is the the play by play guy. The you know Shivani is kind of the color, and then Jr. is like the uh, the figurehead. You know, he's the he's the special attraction of the commentary team, which is kind of weird. Um, and then we then we get into the main event of the show here and it was advertised as Ken, as King Omega and the Young Bucks the Elite going up against Chris Jericho and two mystery partners and I think anyone that had watched uh All Out had a pretty had a pretty good idea that it's probably going to wind up being Ortiz and Santana but and it was announced a couple days before the show okay it was okay. yeah yeah, yeah I, I I was still seeing the graphic of it being Chris Jericho and two mystery partners um so it, it starts off and it looks like it's just gonna be the typical send the crowd send the crowd hold happy six man tag, and then fucking John Moxley comes out when Kenny Omega's about to do his big tope, tope, and they start brawling all all over the arena and everything. I gotta say, Tim, I thought it, I thought it looked really awesome. I thought all of it looked great. I thought the way they followed the action looked great. I thought the big culmination spot with Moxley, Moxley doing that uh, double arm DDT through the glass table. Everything, everything about that looked great. The way Kenny Omega sold the shock of um, like being confused, what the crowd was, why the crowd was murmuring and getting so excited for, and then they turn around and start going at it. I thought everything about that was really well done. And I mean, like I, I thought it hurt the match, but obviously, like the match was not the focus for them there. I thought establishing that Kenny Omega versus John Moxley match and putting more heat on that, they could have done a better job. Yeah, and I thought that this match was structured fucking phenomenally. Because just like you said, it, it's it's a swerve, but it's not a swerve where you just do the opposite of what people expect us to do it. It's just kind of, like you said, you predict, okay, it's the main event. You got Jericho out there with the LAX, and they're going to kind of do this crowd home happy spot thing with, with, you know, Omega's even winding up for his Terminator dive or whatever. and But then Moxley comes out. The tone of everything completely shifts. The Young Bucks take this all the way back to the golden days of Young Bucks where they're just hitting nutty spots, you know, being the valiant underdog baby faces up against three guys, which I thought was done so well. And they really turned it up here, especially Nick. He was running fucking wild. So that really helped kind of, kind of, 
cover the in-ring action while you did have this wild brawl going around the building. The camera's going back and forth, showing you all of this stuff. So, yeah, I just thought that this was this was executed so perfectly for the match itself. Um, and then the post-match stuff, I loved. I thought that the post-match beatdown stuff was great, and I thought that the debut of Jake Hager was a really good thing for the company. And I thought that they did a really good job with him. I mean, honestly, I know that, like, he's Jake Hager. People, people, people are going to make fun of it. Because he Jack, because he's Jack Swagger and Jack Swagger has, um, like you know, shithead, shithead stuff about him. And then in WWE, he wasn't much of no, he wasn't anything of note either. But again, if you're a Laps fan and you haven't really been been watching this stuff as heavily, and then you see Jake Hager come out and he looks really good, he's moving around really good. He goes and hits that Vader bomb perfectly. He comes across like a big deal, and you may have like your preconceived notions because he because he's Jack Swagger. But I don't think that I don't think the debut could have come across any better. Yeah, and I think that that's exactly it. I mean, it was, it, and like I said, the camera focused on him. It made him feel like a big deal, especially at the end of the show. It's it zooms in on his face, and he doesn't have the most dynamic face, but he felt like a star in that setting. And I just, it felt like a big deal. So yeah, I just like great debut, really good job having, you know, the two debuts the way that they did or not debuts, but the return of Moxley and then the debut of Hager here. Cause I really think that like this match was perfect for, for swerves in the, the way that they should be used in wrestling. Like I said, you got Moxley comes back. The match completely changes from what you would have predicted. And then the last swerve is where the fuck did Jake Hager come from? No one expected that. You know what I mean? That's, that's huge. So here's my question to you and i said i was going to bring it up later about page and his positioning does it make sense for page to be part of this feud if they are building a five-on-five feud with this with this group uh with you know chris jericho hager lax and uh sammy gravara does it make sense to have page in there basically you're then pairing him up with sammy gravara it seems like that's kind of where they he ends up on the on the docket of, of wrestlers there or with Dustin being the one who came out here right before Hager did, does Dustin join in with the team? Or do you go with the MJF-Cody connection and Cody? Because to me, it doesn't feel like Paige, you'd mentioned him as part of the elite. It doesn't feel like he's positioned as part of the elite. He feels separate from them. And he could have came out here and been part of the, you know, trying to save his guys, but he wasn't. So positioning-wise, does is he even part of this feud? Is he even referenced as being a member of the elite moving forward here? I don't know. That's, that's an interesting question because clearly they have plans for Paige as a, as a marquee singles guy. When when that comes to fruition, we'll never we like we don't know yet. But they have they have those ambitions for him. And I thought seeing Dustin come out was a little weird. And I still I still get the feeling that the main feud that you're gonna, that you're going to get here after seeing Sammy Guevara come out like I could I could see it being Sammy versus versus um versus hangman but then i think if you're really serious about this sammy push and establishing sammy having sammy go out there and work with du- work with dustin guy that's been around forever guy that works well with young guys that young guys that are trying to get their uh name established and historically that's been a good good role for him then that's like a good that's a good partner for sammy to be paired with but no that's, that, that that is a good question i think to me then that then that comes down to if you're thinking about Dustin and MJF as far as people that might be involved in this thing because MJF has been paired with Cody on screen since the inception of AEW. 
do you wind up getting a scenario where like Dustin or MJF winds up turning on Cody? Because it feels like that's where everyone thinks this is going. And I appreciate the duality and the nuance that AEW is approaching things with. Cody has his moments of, be, of feeling a little bit heelish. The Bucks have their moments of feeling a little bit heelish. MJF is a complete heel in every other circumstance, but when he's with Cody, he's he's presented as a babyface. So, do we eventually get something like that as far as an angle? I don't know, but you're right. Hangman does feel like his own thing so far, and maybe keeping him separate, I don't know, that might, that might be the best thing for him at the moment. Yeah, because, I mean, unfortunately, with him being shaky as a star, being put in as the you know the bottom guy in the elite group was not going to help establish him more as a star i don't think right now unfortunately um it is interesting because this also feels like am i crazy to say that this feels like it would be building to a war games but can they do a war games will they do a war games will they try to come up with their own thing like anytime someone has tried to come up with their own version of war games it's never really been that good but it seems like i don't know i don't think that they're that they really can just run a war games, even if they call it something else. I just, I don't know. Am I crazy to think that this feels like it has to be building to something like that? Uh, I'm not sure it has to be. I can see it just being that they had this idea of we're going to make a big splash and we're going to, and we're going to do this. But I don't know, like seeing, like knowing Cody, knowing what Cody is influenced by and all, and all that stuff, I could easily see it leading to something in that capacity. But if it is, then that feels a little bit more long term. You know, like they already have they already have their big matches booked for the for the next pay per view. Yeah. So, you know, we're we're gonna do a we're gonna do a month of TV before we before we get to that show. So that would mean that this thing is gonna be a little bit more long term. And I'm not sure. Do you think that this uh, Jake Hager, Chris Jericho, LAX, and Sammy Guevara, sorry, Sammy Guevara thing is a is a long term unit? Or do you think that was just, we're going to get all of our big heels out and we're going to put them together to make a splash at the end of the show? Well, that's why I don't, that's why I think it has to be building to something like that because I don't think they're a long-term unit. So I think that they're a, okay. a band of heels that that are going to lose a big, you know, multi-man match like that and then they just disband and don't ever interact with each other anymore. So that's why I think it has to build to that. I mean, historically, Fall Brawl, which we're, we're just starting fall, is when they would do war games. So it wouldn't be shocking to have it end up at some point in the next couple of months. Obviously not the next big show, but you know maybe before... Maybe they even do it on TV. I think Personally, I think that's a bad idea, but they could. Or they could do a special that streams live on VR Live or something. Who knows? I mean, but I do think that, that it would be something that you would do. And like I said, it would be a way to blow off this heel pairing because they don't feel like a group that should stay together long term. Maybe Jericho and Hager could stay together long term if you do want to run with Jericho as the champion. I think having Hager as his heater would not be the worst thing, especially because he's got that MMA background. And then now Jericho is using the most devastating MMA strike in the history of wrestling with the Judas elbow. So it would make sense for him to have a big uh, MMA heavy with him. Yeah, all that checks out. It's just again, this is the first episode and everything and i know this this is what having aw around is cool for um we come on here we speculate because we really don't know and a lot of the time wrestling like wrestling feels so predictable wrestling feels so predictable and at this uh, stage with aew we really don't know and i like the fact that we have a product right now that's so that because it's so fresh and because it's new and because it's just getting off the ground we have no clue where anything where anything is headed, and that level of intrigue 
is whether or not you like the wrestlers involved and and like whatever's going on, like the angle or whatever. I like the fact that you can look at something and you're like, wow, I don't know what they're going to do with this. Yeah, and that's definitely um, exciting because it is like, where are we going? What are we doing? And what's happening? And there's a lot of interesting questions and exciting things that are going to happen next. Um, I don't know if there's anything else you want to talk about with AEW here, Quentin? Uh, no, nothing. Nothing for AEW. Uh, one thing we didn't really didn't really touch on, and like again, I have no problem not touching on it because this isn't our, our um our specialty. Because again, you're not you're not, you're not a lucha guy or, or whatever. But oh yeah, Russian Dragon Lee, Russian Dragon Lee leaving leaving CMLL was was a, is a really big thing. Falling out falling out from 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 some dust up of Dragon Lee going ahead and working uh the 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 ROH show instead of being on the CMLL Anniversario and being there while have Rush won the ROH title and they're both gone. We might be getting some name changes soon. Who knows? But that was a big thing. But again, I had no problem touch, not touching on it because I realized like like you know doing that doing that with you we're like we're not we're almost not knowledgeable people as a pair like going over that. Yeah, and I was going to mention the ROH pay per view, which I don't know if you watched it. Um, of course, of course not. <laughs> of course not, because why would anyone watch it? I watched the whole fucking thing. Um, bad, still bad. Um, I still have not gotten around to watching the pre-show match with um, Brody King versus Jeff Cobb, which could be in contention for being the best match on the show, seeing as, as of right now, the best match on the show was uh, John Grisham and Jay Lethal having literally their worst match with each other. Um, it was still the best match on the show, oh, handily. I, 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 I was thinking about going back and watching that. I would recommend so it. It's still good. I mean, those guys are great. Okay. You know, those guys fucking rule. But, like, yeah, I mean, it was not their best match. But I think, to me, still the Iron Man is their best match. I, I loved that. Um, oh, I, had that I, had, I had that as my least. So. <laughs> really? Okay, so maybe you'll like this one more. Um, okay. Either way, a lot of bullshit. Rush was working really hard, and I actually liked him in the match where he wins the, wins the title, but it's, you know, it's with Taven. It's not going to be great. And even Taven was pretty good. They were both working hard. So I'll give them credit for that. But it was just, with everything that was going on in all the news, it felt like, oh, ROH might be relevant. But then you watch the show, and it's still just completely not. Like, it doesn't... Yeah, it, it, it just still no. Yeah, it's it just not... Oh, no. Oh, no, I'm sorry. This is still just completely un irrelevant. doesn't matter at all. Um, so, yeah, that was... Uh, that was a lot of fun, but yeah, all that stuff, and they blew up everything. Scroll again, Scroll can't win the championship because he's leaving, but you can destroy working relationships across three companies um, and put big time money off the table or on the line because of because of needing to get the title on a rush right now. I don't know. Um, I don't know what the fuck is going on with ROH. Um, the, I the, the new the new the new Japan ROH CMLL alliance is is is, <laughs> is probably about to come to an end. It looks yeah. Look, like I has a very, very, very bleak future, which would be a shame because I because the, the Fantastic Mania tours are always one of the one of the highlights of New Japan for me. And then if that if that comes to an end, I'd I'd be disappointed. Yeah, you know. And there, I mean, there's the stuff going around that Roosh isn't even going to. He doesn't even really care about going to New Japan. So the relationship between ROH and New Japan wasn't a selling point for him. Um, he he he's never cared about New Japan. Yeah. Like after after whatever incident happened a few years ago and everything, like he's never really been about going back to New Japan. There's a reason why we do this. Like we do those uh, we do the Fantastic Mania tours, and a lot of the time he's never he's not there. Yeah. So it's like the Fantastic Mania tours are going to end, and you're not even really probably going to see Roosh in New Japan. Um. So it's just yeah, it's kind of a bummer overall. 
um, for the New Japan side of things. But I mean, they don't. It doesn't really matter. Um, Dragon Dragon Lee loves New Japan, and I wouldn't be surprised if Dragon Lee became a New Japan regular. Oh, he probably will. I mean, he already. It feels like he already is with his connection with Shibata. I mean, the only issue would be the difficulty there with Hiromu. Uh, maybe they're not so keen on booking, but they still book him. So, yeah, I think he'd be a regular there. He will be a regular there as soon as he can, which it now seems like would be now because the CMLL stuff has blown up, and that's kind of the rumors that everyone's saying he's probably going to sign, probably sign with New Japan, realistically, and then ROH can pick up whatever scraps he has left for them. Um, that said, the other thing I wanted to mention just really quickly was the GCW Curtain Call show. It was really good. They ran on the Monday of last week before all this big Wednesday Night War stuff. Really good show, honestly, top to bottom. Pretty much every match delivered, so I would recommend people check it out. There's a seven-way scramble that was really good, which you know for me is not like a, is not a match, not a kind of match that I normally really get into, but I really liked this one. Um, so yeah, I would recommend that people give that one a check out for the the curtain call, the going away party for a lot of guys. Um, Jungle Boy and Jake Atlas really tore it up in a relatively quick match as the opener there. Um, so yeah, I would say that was a good one. Anything, any last bits you want to shout out, Quentin, or are you just gonna uh, sign us off for the evening? Uh, no, I'm good. I'm good. I think we, I think we hit everything here. Go ahead and follow us. Go 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 ahead and follow us. Follow us. My bad. At QNCR on Twitter. Email us questions at Q, email us questions at QNTR, G, QNTR at gmail.com. And that's it. And we are, yes, a Wednesday Night Wars podcast. So get ready for more of that every single week. I'm kidding. <laughs> My cunt is loading. Password is pussy. Level one.